This episode is brought to you by Dragon's Lair Comics and Fantasy. This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. 1980s pop culture trends. Whatever. Let's have fun. Come on, let's have yeah. fun and talk about a list we got off the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is the lowest common denominator stuff. Whatever. Everyone else can is we, doing it. Can, can we just do the Batman review? <laughs> right, I thought I about that. I have to see yeah. the movie first. All right, whatever. All right, come on. We got to get this going. Let's just do it. All right. Hey, welcome back to another. This is a rousing way to begin it. Hey, let's just get through it. Hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will, and joining me, as always, are my friends and co-hosts, Ray and Kat. Hi, guys. What's going on? Not much. I felt like there was something I was going to tell you guys, and I don't remember what it is anymore. Huh. Well, I was huh. going to tell you guys oh, something. Yeah, what was it? <laughs> Based on seeing you guys in person, yeah, I've realized now that there's actually three wills hmm. th- that I'm working on integrating. Oh, it's like the in-person, you know, 32 years ago will. Oh, okay. And, and hmm. the virtual, you know, podcast Facebook will. Right. And then the now in-person will. Oh. And then I also realized there's only one Ray. <laughs> That's perfect. Yes. I mean, oh, wait a second. That's probably a good thing, right? I want to be Ray. I want to be yeah. one Will. It's super easy when there's only one of you. Huh. Well, that sounds like I got some kind of a split personality or maybe I'm, I don't know, behaving like a, differently. What's that movie? Uh, split? Split. Yeah, that's mm. you. Yeah. It's okay. I'm mushing you together. Wow. I don't know what that means, Cat, but. I don't know either. I might not be able to finish the show. Oh no! Does that mean it's some kind of existential dread? Oh, no. I know what I want to tell you guys though, because you remind me. Because we haven't done this, we haven't been together and recorded since we did the trivia show last week, and um, right. that was a lot of fun. You know, listening back mm-hmm. to it, I realized a couple of things. One, I was really being rude to Ray. Uh, well, that was one thing. Were didn't you? Notice. I didn't get to re-listen and yet. He, and, and Ray pointed it out a few times how how mean I am and rude. Oh, uh, wow! And the other thing was is that. <laughs> I liked it because it was like doing the show, but we also asked people questions, you know? Yeah. And the only thing we had to prepare was to get the trivia questions, which Ray did most of that, so. Yeah. I look forward hey. to doing it again in March. Yeah, I got to get cracking on that. Yeah. That's good. And you Do we know, have a date for that yet? Uh, No. Okay. But we will soon. Um, But you right. know, and also my mom, I was surprised. She said to me, hey, you guys, I was, I, she said, I was watching your trivia uh, the other day and- Mm-hmm. You guys are really good together. Like this shows you are really funny and interesting and the, your banter. Oh mm-hmm. my God, you guys are great. Wow. She All right. She doesn't give out compliments lightly either. I'm telling you, even to me. Big ups <laughs> from your mom. Like she would come to a high school play I was in and she's like, eh, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then she'd go on and on about some other kid in the show. Now he was good. <laughs> so this is high praise. This is high praise. High, yeah. high praise. Take that. Hey, on today's show, because I forgot to mention this, we're going to be discussing five pop culture trends that the History Channel, just recently, like a week ago, described as having helped shape the 1980s. Quite frankly, because any of the other things we wanted to talk about are just not ready yet. And those (laughs) guests haven't confirmed their dates and topics need to be developed and scripts written and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Lots of scripts. So we're doing a list show. Yeah. And it's going to be fun. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I know Ray's, he's working on something. He just doesn't want to say it. Yeah. No, I was going to make, I was going to make a lisp joke. Oh, a lisp. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I've been working on my lisp all day. Getting no, ready for this. No, a list, list show. Oh boy. That's why you were talking oh, like that earlier. He, he probably doesn't have any notes. Yeah. yeah no, no. I have just nothing prepared today. Yeah. Just a voice. Yeah, I was, we're, I was walking around. You know, the city just practicing yeah. my, my lisp. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, once again, it's time to... Thank you for your cooperation. Hey, the reviews keep on coming. Ooh. There's another one. Can't, this is uh, from... Uh, hmm. D-Gan? D-Gan? 
D-G-A-H-N. Mm. I don't know. I think you can put any name you want in these things. So hmm. mm, I think so. Mm -hmm. It's a title <laughs> is, can I give more than five stars? And then weirdly, Ooh. they gave us only two stars. So that's kind of weird. No. no, they gave five stars. <laughs> hey, I gave I gave this show a five-star rating back when it was The Idiots. That's what we used to call the show. It was just Ray and mm -hmm. myself. But it's gotten even better since then. They still get great guests. They still have a great time talking about the 80s. They changed their name. I like The Idiots, but 1980s now is cool too. And they <laughs> added, an, added another co-host, Kat, who brings in a fresh perspective. Each of the hosts has their own areas of interest, and they show that we can all learn more about the greatest decade for pop culture in history. I can't wait to see where the show goes from here, and I look forward to more exciting perspectives from the hosts and guests. Thanks, Degan. We do too. Yeah, yeah. it's here right now. <laughs> I mean, we've ended up here. We also, <laughs> in the future. <laughs> no, with a list. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that, yes. Perfect. Yeah, yes, exactly. That's where we go. We've run out of ideas. So instead of doing reviews, if you could do that, Send us an idea for an episode. We're yeah. at 1980snow.com. <laughs> hey, let's get caught up on 1980s news. This week in 1980s news, per The Guardian, Tears for Fears' new album, The Tipping Point, is an elegant, long-awaited return. Mm. Have either of you guys checked out any of the songs from the new album? Yes. No. Really? <laughs> we knew Cat would have. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Guardian writes 18 years after its predecessor and five years after Roland Arzabal. Did I get that right? Arzabal? Yeah, Orzabal. Orzabal. Orzabal mm -hmm. first announced mm -hmm. that the seventh Tears for Fears album and the second with Kurt Smith back on board. I didn't realize he was gone. Uh, it's finally upon us. It's just, but its gestation has been far, been far from smooth. Unfortunately, Orzabal's mm -hmm. wife died in 2017 and he suffered about, out of ill health immediately afterwards. Of course, Jesus, terrible. I didn't realize that was in the story. I probably would have cut that out. Don't. Meanwhile, the, board, the band's former management were discouraging them from making a record at all. <laughs> What's <laughs> that about? That's not a vote of confidence. <laughs> no. Hey guys, uh, I think this is a bad idea. You guys keep making music. <laughs> but they turned that actually, that incident into the lyrics of a song on the album called Master Plan. Mm-hmm. Um, all the time spent, this is still the Guardian saying that all the time spent working on the songs is apparent. The arrangements are unfailingly lush. The musicianship beyond criticism. And then they go on to criticize That's it saying true. that, <laughs> what? It's not true. That's hey, not true. Well, they say that and then they it. criticize it. That's why it's yeah. funny. It's beyond criticism. And then they say, <laughs> while it all sounds impeccably polished, it lacks a sort of killer hook that used to consistently elevate them above their mid eighties peers. That's a criticism. Okay. It, it yep. is. I have to say, um, yep. yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I like it. They, mm -hmm. they've always been really good at having a soundscape kind of feel okay. and yep. experimented with all different instruments and yep. took some risks. Um, and this is definitely full. It has a very careful kind of curated sound to it, but, mm -hmm. um, there's not one song that grabbed me mm -hmm. like, you know, there's no head over heels or gotcha. everybody yeah. wants to rule the world kind of a, a hook in there. But the whole thing, it's very satisfying sounding. It's very beautiful. Without Kurt, yeah. what, how did they make album covers? Yeah. Yeah. Was it just the one sitting there like Kermit the Frog looking out the yeah. window or, or that himself. meme with the guy who's sitting there by himself and he's standing outside? Yeah. Like, you know, where? how, how do you do the angry breakup uh, cover? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Kat, do you know? What? Um, no, but I did see yeah. a picture. Maybe it was with this article or with something else where they're both sitting on a couch and they yeah. are smiling. They yeah. look happy, but they're really far away from each other. Oh. Like one's <laughs> way at one end of the couch and the one's way at the so, other end. <laughs> I think that's the cover of their next album called yeah. Couples Therapy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I saw that picture too, Kat. You're right. It did, mm -hmm. it did strike me as unusual. And also, was it Roland yeah. that has a giant beard now? Yes, yes. Yeah. That is he. Kind of like Ray in Pandemic. He just gave up. Just gave up <laughs> on all facial hair and hair generally. <laughs> uh, I did, I did, I do have a clip here though of one of the songs, The Tipping Point, which is the uh, mm -hmm. titular song yes. from the mm -hmm. album. Raise your hand, bite your tongue. A, a similar cadence to a song that of theirs that I really like. I like this part. 
So, Kat, would you say this gets thumbs? <laughs> <laughs> I give it a thumbs up, not Ooh. just a thumb. Wow. So, so Ray wow. rated the uh, new Scorpions album Thumbs. Uh, yes, we're waiting yes. patiently to find out what that means. What, what does the thumbs mean? Oh, that means that means it's not good. It's not bad. It's oh, in the middle. Cat yes, nailed it. Okay. Yeah, she was right. <laughs> I didn't know if it was a typo. Yeah. <laughs> so I needed, I thought knowing Ray, it's probably not, but Kat, I just want to make sure. Cat is becoming somewhat of a Ray whisperer, you know, I, more so I'm than not Ray. that hard to figure out. I guess I'm, I'm looking really for not. deeper meaning. I always do. There's, there's only, no, there's only one Ray. See, I didn't see that. That, that shows you, that shows you Cat is onto something I'm not. I see you as so complex and layered. All right. Hey, in other 1980s news per deadline, distribution rights to ALF the uh, puppet-fronted sitcom that ran from NB- on NBC from 86 to 90 mm-hmm. and spawned an animated series and a cult following have been acquired by Shout Factory, <laughs> which is how their name is written. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, the company, uh, so in, in partnership with Alien Productions, and Alien Productions must only own ALF, right? I mean, that's probably why that company exists. <laughs> but they plan to bring ALF uh, titles to digital entertainment platforms in, in the U.S., does anybody not know that at what Alpha is about? Now we had one of our trivia questions uh, from the trivia last week, where we, uh, Ray asked us whether uh, where Planet Gordon Shumway was from. Mm-hmm. I was impressed that Cat knew that was Alf, but she did watch TV in the nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. I saw a little bit, a little bit of TV. Mm-hmm. It definitely always involved puppets. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Fraggle Rock, the Muppets, Alf. <laughs> so of course he's an alien from another planet. He cl- crash lands in the garage of the Tanner family, who then you know essentially take care of him, you know, uh, begrudgingly, right? A Willie played by uh, Max uh, Wright can't stand him. And Max Wright also couldn't stand working on the show. Uh, Ray and I talked about this a while ago. Yeah. Um, Because we talked to Donald Todd, who did some writing on it, but also was one of the, like, two or three writers on Misfits of Science. Mm. We spoke to Diane Carey, who was on Misfits of Science, uh, and also played a small role on ALF. And Misfits of Science starred Max Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, why do I say all that? Mm-hmm. I say all that just to say that, um, <laughs> why? Sort of a shared know. universe kind no, of thing? I don't remember why. <laughs> no. uh, something about them, how they didn't like it. Oh, oh, I know what it was. Mm. That, um, huh. oh, here it is, here it is. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> that the, uh, that the show, okay, so the show was created by Tom Patchett and Paul Fusco, or Fusco, Fusco, who, who was also the puppeteer for ALF. Mm. Um, but by many accounts, the show was a nightmare to work on. Like I mentioned, Max Wright, who starred opposite the puppet as the Patriarch Willie, once told People Magazine in 2000, quote, it was hard work and very grim. Mm. Uh, adding later on in the article that he, quote, was hugely eager to have it o- over with. <laughs> and his co-star, Anne Shadeen, uh, confirmed uh, Max's distaste for the uh, show, recalling the last day of filming, saying, quote, there was one take and Max walked off the set, went to his dressing room, got his bags, went to his car and disappeared. Wow. <laughs> but I, I recall other stories where because they had a puppet on the show, they had to have all these holes. These giant, maybe Donald Todd told us this even. They had to have these giant holes where the puppeteer could get around. And okay. actors were constantly, and crew people were constantly falling into these holes that were, you know, several, f- <laughs> where the stage was several feet above the ground and just falling mm-hmm. to their doom. A lot of twisted angles, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Now that nice. uh, all TV shows are just eight episodes. Yeah. I think we should pitch the shout. Yep. A Gordon Shumway mm-hmm. horror slash comedy mm-hmm. um, illegal alien from Russia who's a serial killer named Gordon Shumway who ends up living with a family. Oh. And they just, they're so afraid of him, yeah. they don't want to kick him out. Now, wait, is this, and this, is this a human then? Gordon Shumway's a human yeah. thing. Yeah, but oh, he okay. cats. Okay. And all the oh. whole thing, just like Alf. And he tells all the bad jokes, yeah. just like Alf, but it's a real person this time. Okay. So you want it all shown. You want like the cats and everything. Oh, yeah. Like, like they walk into the kitchen yeah. and he's just gnawing on it oh, like yeah. it's barbecued. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're so afraid of him. They're just like, good job, Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And Thumbs maybe, up. Maybe as a means of- <laughs> Thumbs up. Maybe as a means of coping with the situation where these people are kidnapped, they see him as a lovable puppet. Yeah, and yeah. so like inside the house, he looks like a lovable alien. And then as soon yeah. as he leaves, he, it's like, you and, know. Uh, well, it's even better. Ooh. The parents tell the kids that. Oh, so the okay. kids ooh. think of him like that. And the parents are like, how do we murder this guy and get yeah. out of this situation? Right. Mm. Oh, man. I could see a 1980s <laughs> Kevin Bacon playing maybe Gordon Shumway. 
You know, he played a role mm-hmm. like that where he was like, how do we get rid of this guy who has us trapped in our own home? <laughs> yeah. Or kidnapped us on a canoeing trip. But ever since I found out James Gunn wrote Peacemaker in like two weeks, yeah. mm. I'm like, this can't be hard at all. I yeah. could do this. Mm. Get to it. That's, yeah, that's why I keep bugging Will, though. Yeah. I keep pushing the ideas at him to see if he'll like start the ball rolling. Yeah. And, yeah. and then stay on top of Ray to get it done. And Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not, I don't think they're going to do anything as creative with that. But the, the but Patchett and Fusco, who I said uh, created the show, said that the that the that the Shout Factory move is quote the home away from Melmac that Alpha has been looking for. We looking hmm. we're we're looking forward to bringing you Alpha in a totally new way with new content, unseen art, and restored footage not seen in thirty years. End quote. Wow. Now I'm wondering if this unseen footage includes some footage that was unearthed by uh, TMZ, I think, in 2010. Where they found, certainly, well, TMZ interviewed Paul Fusco about this because some videos showed outtakes where Fusco was joking around on set with the puppet. He was controlling Mm -hmm. the puppet. Okay. And where uh, the puppet is dropping uh, racial slurs. Oh, boy. (laughs) And and doing other types of crass things. Now, some accounts of the story, I heard that that Fusco had a version of Alf that was really tattered and horrible looking, and he would use that one to be raunchy to look up okay. the ladies' skirts on the set and do other types of racy c- content and, and racial content. And the people on set referred to this uh, beat up one as Ralph for, I think it was rotten <laughs> alien life form. Or, rotten rotten alien life form. <laughs> they asked uh, the show's producers, TMZ in 2010 asked the show's producer, Steve Lamar about this. And he said, quote, you're talking about 20 years ago when the world was not so ridiculous, PC. Anyone who has offended needs to lighten up already. End quote. Uh. Uh, less charitable, though, was the actor who played their nosy neighbor, uh, co-star John LaMotta, who said, uh, quote, I thought the show Alf was a piece of shit. Worst work I ever did. Oh, my goodness. And with that, we look forward to seeing more Alf. Yeah. Show us the, show us the uh, Fusco cut. Hashtag Ralph cut. Technically, yeah. I think I might have to contact him to help me write the new version yeah. I want to do. Yes. I think he already started working on it. Yes, right. <laughs> it's been incubating. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, the seven-year-old that I kids it for yeah. one day over the summer, she's in my house and she said, Cat, you have an elf. Oh. Because I had that little puppet right. that I tried to get Ray to bid yeah, on. Right. You know? Yeah, right. And I was floored that she knew who Alf yeah. was. How does do you find out how she knows? I do. Yeah. She watches it uh, with her grandmother huh. who's in our, uh, oh gosh. Our age her range. grandmother's our peer. We are not old enough for that. <laughs> well, she's a little bit older. She will never exactly be that our old. age. She, no, exactly. Right. Yeah. She's a little mm-hmm. bit older, but yeah. So it's, um, popular with some young ones now, yeah. <laughs> or at least one. You so remind me that. In connection with researching this story, I came across how in the 1980s, or when the show was on the air, uh, Alf, who, even though he was a puppet, wasn't written to be a kid's show. You know, it was very right. edgy. He wasn't doing the stuff that Fusco was doing with Ralph uh, mm-hmm. off air. But he was, there was an episode where he takes a, a mixing, a hand mixer, electric hand mixer into a bathtub and electrocutes himself. <laughs> and as a result, gets amnesia. At the end of the episode, they had to put a message saying, don't do this at home. And then eventually they just took it out because apparently kids were really doing it. Uh, and other things that he was doing, they eventually were asking the show to tame or, or, or edit, modify, because, uh, you know, they were scared that kids would emulate the behavior, including the fact they said for the first two seasons, Alf drank a lot of beer and was, you know, drunk and stuff like that. Um, oh. And they, uh, I think Fusco had asked, uh, you're pointing to our Ralph on the show here? Yes. <laughs> Ray, alien life form. <laughs> yes. Uh, and they, uh, Fusco said, he's an alien who's 223 years old. He can drink beer and do whatever he wants. He's not a kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, that's enough for Ralph, right? Okay, hey, another another mm-hmm. 1980s news. Hey, the long in, according to the Ankler and other outlets, the long in production sequel to 1988's Beetlejuice is now in the hands of, I would never guess this in a million years, Brad Pitt. What? Mm-hmm. So Brad Pitt started a, a production company, I think with Brad Gray, you know, uh, f- f- you know was it, what's, I don't know what the phrase is, like, Famous, world famous, world renowned. Uh, oh, I know, agent to the stars. Oh, there you go. Called Plan B many years ago, and they they now wow. have the uh, rights to produce uh, Beetlejuice's sequel. Wasn't mm-hmm. his comp him and uh, Jennifer Aniston's the one who were responsible mm-hmm. for the Willy Wonka thing, and then they bailed and oh. left poor Johnny Depp under contract, and they ended up doing the 
the movie with him called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, Ooh. you know, maybe. I think it was them. You're right, because okay. Aniston is a partner in this company. You're right. Yes. That's yeah. how long they've had it together for, yeah. So mm. basically, they're going to trick one of their friends into starring in this mm. thing and then bail. Mm. Oh, boy. Yeah, I wonder if one of their friends is Michael Keaton. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> this, look, this Yeah. I feel bad whoever they trick into taking over the role of Beetlejuice. Yeah. Mm. Well, according to Empire Magazine, Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder are coming back, although no one else mm. was reporting this and it's not official yet. Of course, we know Michael Keaton is sort of making a comeback of sorts, although he's never really left the, you know, zeitgeist because he's already reprising his another one of his iconic roles from the 1980s, uh, Batman, or at least mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne. We know Bruce mm -hmm. Wayne's going to be in The Flash, probably Batman. He's been posting some pictures teasing his return in the cowl. Although we do expect him also to don the costume in the in-production Batgirl movie that's being made for HBO Max. So we're going to see a lot, a lot of Michael Keaton, and he could be Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I'd want to see it. I liked this movie. Mm. I haven't seen it for a long time. Kind of makes me want to see it again. But I had a friend in high school yep. where we would randomly kind of sneak up on each other and go, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. No, Kat, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to say it twice and then stop short of it. Yeah, I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Now, once upon a time, and I think we talked about this once before, they were going to make a Beetlejuice sequel after the film came out originally. In fact, they had one that was written. Uh, it was penned by Jonathan Gems, who, um, Gems, 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 looks like Gems. He he, he penned uh, T Timothy Burton, Tim, Timothy Burton, Timothy Burton. <laughs> Tim Burton's other classic, uh, Mars Attacks. Um, it was going to be Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And the, fa the Dietz family has a, like a vacation and somehow Beetlejuice winds up following them there and uh. mayhem ensues. Uh, okay. But as the story goes, Warner Brothers wanted uh, Burton instead focus on a sequel to Batman. And, and then so the sequel to Beetlejuice never got made. More recently, though, in 2015, we almost got one when Seth Graham Smith, who was an author of those uh, books, uh, uh, like uh, uh, where he combined a classic novel with zombies or uh, vampires. It's like, uh, oh. like Pride and Prejudice and yeah. Zombies. He, yeah, he wrote that. Yeah. He wrote that. And then he started writing films like I think Abraham Lincoln... Uh, Vampire Killer? Vampire yes. Hunter. Hunter, that, that's yes. his. Mm -hmm. He wrote a sequel and he had told Entertainment Weekly at the time in 2015 that he completed a few drafts and he even exchanged emails with some of the principal players and that Ryder and Keaton were on board at that time. Burton was happy with the script. Of course, that never came out. But no. So we'll see. Well, I'm not holding my breath. And the first movie, I liked it enough to see it twice in the theaters in 1988 when it came out. But mm -hmm. it, today it's fine. My kids love it, but it's, you know, that's fine. You don't need another one. No, I don't. <laughs> hey, finally, another, another, uh, the final story in 1980s news per icon versus icon. Corey Feldman is making a comeback. And I want to say, quoting LL Cool J song from 1990, don't call it a comeback. But for a different reason. Not that he's been here for years, because I, I don't know. I think you got to go back to the drawing board. We love Corey Feldman, but um, this uh, thing mm. from Icon versus Icon written by Jason, J Jason Price, I guarantee he just copied this off of the press release they gave him. Because he writes regarding, the, regarding uh, Corey Feldman's new song uh, and music video that uh, Corey Feldman has released the official music video for his latest certified banger, Comeback King. Has Corey Feldman ever had a certified banger? So um, I can't possibly be the latest. Uh, hmm, right. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, 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 yeah, I, I'm struggling to come up with the yeah. title, but there's got to be one. Yeah. No. <laughs> he goes on to say the fiery track, which features a helping, a heaping helping of old school flavor and anthemic flow is the first single from Feldman's new album, Love Left 2 or Me With Love. Hey, look, mm -hmm. for folks who don't know, I, I have a clip here of the song and then we can, we could talk about this in the music video. We all have sadness and moments that we lost. It's when we must look inwards, show them who is boss. I'm the comeback, comeback king. I am missing, missing nothing. If it's going to, going to swing, you better make it sting. If he had any kind of common sense whatsoever, yeah. Yeah. they would just, he would just let somebody say, look, dude, here, this sounds, this is a band like uh, Prodigy. Yeah. You just say weird shit, scream over top of it and everyone will love it. Stop trying to sing. Yeah. Just scream nonsense about fire and explosions mm. and mm -hmm. stuff. Mm. Just get like a really good mm -hmm. band behind them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. It kind of comes across like a parody. Yes. Not? 
I agree. Yeah. I did read some other folks comparing it to some like YouTube uh, musicians who make joke songs. Yeah. Right. It seemed like it was yeah going in that direction. I, I kind of, hmm, how do I phrase this? Um, <laughs> Come on, just say it. Just say it. <laughs> Don't kind of phrase it. Say it. One viewing was enough. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and But I do want to say, mm-hmm. I appreciate that regardless of what I or anyone else might think of it, that Corey Feldman is unabashedly himself (laughs) that's kind of a theme we've Mm -hmm. touched upon here lately um he's getting duckied i dig (laughs) i do respect (laughs) i respect that he's putting himself out there and um yeah (laughs) absolutely it's time kurt got back on the horse and got that new album released wait what are we going back to are are we talking about tears for fears (laughs) we might as well be (laughs) Oh, no, Tears no, for Fears, come on, Tears for Fears crushes minute. this song. <laughs> wait one. I will listen to these an equal amount of times. Oh. <laughs> I got to tell you, though, along the lines of what you're saying, Ray, after I listened to these songs earlier today to talk about them tonight, I still have, I'm the king, then come back king. I'm the comeback, come. I still have that in my head. I can't That's sing the, the Tears for Fears song for you. Let me think. <laughs> Something about knocking on the door and it's a ghost. I, I can't. Know no, see. That but I'm the I king. could love you more. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, Which part did you I'm like? King, king. <laughs> this song also features a rap break from Curtis Young, who happens mm. to be the son of Dr. Dre. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now to to promote this. Oh, okay, guys, this is another one of those segments we could just call this. Like, uh, I don't think I have anything on the board right now. This is another one of those moments here where it's like, what are you talking about? Okay, here we go. So to promote the song. Yeah. We actually do have an intro for that on there somewhere. Don't we have one that says, are you f- kidding me? Oh, yeah. Do I have that on here still? <laughs> oh, yeah. Here we go. Okay. Here. Once again, it's time for. You've got to be f- kidding. <laughs> Thanks. Right, right. Here we go. Okay. So to promote the song, Feldman performed live at Hollywood's Whiskey Go-Go, the famed club, right? Oh. On February 22nd. Mm-hmm. In addition to performing new and classic songs. Here we go. This is where it goes off the rail. I have no idea what this is talking about. In addition mm-hmm. to performing the songs. Feldman gave first looks at his upcoming NFT. Oh no. In partnership oh. with Cosmic Wire. Oh now, no. Those who hold the NFT will gain access to the upcoming Corey Feldman metaverse. Now it still gets it still gets more confusing. This is the second collaboration between Feldman and Cosmic. The first was a hybrid NFT auction of the prosthetic ear Feldman wore while starring as Teddy in the iconic film Stand By Me. What? An NFT of a prosthetic ear gets you secret access to Corey Feldman's metaverse? <laughs> Who has this? Who owns this? Yeah, I want to go in that metaverse, crickets. Hello? Has anybody else got the NFT of the prosthetic ear? Oh, man. It's just a digital oh. desert. Man. You know, I just realized yeah. he makes it really easy to bash him. Yeah. And I so want to like talk to him about like like the Burbs and yeah. the Frog Brothers and mm-hmm. stuff, but mm-hmm. but he makes it so easy to just say mean things about him yeah. that he's never gonna he's come no on chance. the show because he's gonna think I hate him. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I don't. I like him. Well, yeah. I just wish he'd stop making shit using <laughs> yes we love him as an actor 100 percent. they're they're uh, all so brave everyone involved in this you mm-hmm. know production here this video yeah, so, so brave i so uh <laughs> identified one of the dancers in the music video as his wife as is a curry film wife and said she oh. looks so serious and committed to this like you know mm-hmm. he, he found mm-hmm. the woman it's like you know get a woman <laughs> get a woman that dances in a music video like uh, for what's you, that like, song i don't know what but no what gold digger Oh, <laughs> you think Corey Feldman's got gold? He's selling NFT. He's not even selling the prosthetic gear because he doesn't have that. He's selling an <laughs> NFT of it, which is know. like an eight bit version of it that anybody can own. I don't know. Oh my goodness. This, this music video, the dancing in the production value reminded me of that unearthed one from 1986 that we watched you know, mm-hmm. a few episodes mm-hmm. ago. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the same camera. I mean... <laughs> He probably had to put the big tape in it. Yeah. Plump. I'm with you, Ray. I'd love to talk to him. We've been trying for weeks to get a hold of him, but 
we get no response. So, but no, and I hope I'm glad he's you okay. said that about the dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. I'm, yeah, I felt the same way about the dancing. But yeah, hmm. I hope he's okay. I mean, <laughs> it's not so bad as to say this is indicative of something. As I've seen some people online say, like, is he all right? But I hope he's all right because we know he's gone through a lot. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Here we go. That now we're going to go on to the the lisp portion of the show. So that yes. was that was nineteen eighties news. Hey, I've got great news and the best news. So the great news is that there exists a store, Dragon's Lair Comics and Fantasy, that offers everything for the game and pop culture enthusiast. And I've got to tell you, of course, it's no surprise it was founded in nineteen eighty six during the greatest decade for pop culture. This store is so amazing because they sell comics. Games, I'm talking about all kinds of games, board games, role-playing games, miniatures, graphic novels, manga or manga, uh, whichever way is the right way to say it, plush animals, action figures. They also carry cosplay makeup and accessories, but that's not all. They also, and I'm talking about a store here, you know, a really truly geeky, nerdy store for all of the folks that love pop culture as much as we do. They also offer a huge variety of events. They hold concerts, mini conventions, trivia contests, and they even have autograph signings from your favorite pop culture icons. And here's the even better news, that if you're if you're in Ohio, that located now in the center of Ohio is the latest Dragon's Lair comics and fantasy store. It's now open in North Columbus. So if you're in Ohio like we are, you can get your geek on at the local Dragon's Lair comics and fantasy at 1222 East Powell Road in Lewis Center. And to find out more information about the Columbus location, including dates for upcoming events, and I know they've got, uh, they're painting miniatures soon or teaching a class or something like that, check them out on Facebook, where they're Dragon's Lair Comics and Fantasy Columbus. And to find out if there's a Dragon's Lair near you, or to learn how you can open one in your area, visit dlair.net. That's D-L-A-I-R dot net. You like the show, so mm-hmm. go and review it on any platform that you listen to it. Follow us on Facebook. Do all those things. They're free. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> or spend money. We'll tell you about that later. Right? Oh. That would yes. really, then you'll be our friend, not a jerk. All right. Uh, hey. That's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> hey, on today's show, we're going to be talking about, just I mentioned a few, right now, we're going to, like I mentioned, just about a week ago, the History Channel published a list by author Leslie Kennedy, uh, in which Kennedy describes five pop culture trends that she says heavily shaped the, quote, me decade. Uh, why these five? I don't know. I tried to find a contact for her. And I couldn't get a hold of her. Certainly couldn't get a hold of her in time for us talking about this. But um, hey, it's something to talk about, and mm-hmm. we will, mm-hmm. and we will, and then we'll <laughs> stop, and then it'll be over. And next week we'll talk about something else that'll be more more involved and researched and whatever. Whatever. I can't wait to hear what Ray says about shoulder pads. All right. Hey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Without further ado, shoulder pads. So the first item she has on her mm-hmm. list is women's power dressing. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, so I guess just to get us all together, we're talking about shoulder pads, oversized double-breasted suits, the floppy silk tie that I think like uh, Diane Keaton wore in a lot of films, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sort of. Uh, yeah. You couldn't escape it. it. It was on runways. It was on movie screens. It was on TV sets. Uh, corporate business people, politicians, all donned this particular look. Iconic, which, you know, just, uh, you know, made women seem very broad. And I should point out that men's suits likewise had shoulder pads in them already. In fact, I think men's suits today still have shoulder pads in them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. They're not as prominent, but yeah. And much for the same reason to, you know, create Yeah, you never know when a football game is going to break out at the office. (laughs) You got to be ready. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know... uh, it turns out this trend didn't start in the 1980s. It started much earlier than that at a time where shoulder pads probably were only reserved for sports like football. But uh, apparently, according to some research, that's not in this article, but I found elsewhere. I don't know if I wrote that down. Oh, mental floss. Here we go. In 1931, Italian designer Elsa Schiaparelli showcased high fashion styles with that look. But it, it took a long time for it to actually get to the United States. When costume designer Adrian Adolph Greenberg dressed Joan Crawford in a stylish padded look for her film's from 1930s through the 1940s. And I think you could picture yeah. that, you know, with Joan Crawford having almost this kind of triangle sort of torso, you know, because it was really mm-hmm. pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, this, as the story goes, some folks believe that Greenberg was actually struck by how sort of uh, Crawford's shoulders were naturally and just sought to sort of enhance them instead of try to mask them and make her seem smaller. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What I thought was interesting was that as men were fighting overseas in the 40s now because of the World War II breaking out, get ready for World War III, by the way, folks, side note, e. um, that uh, women started to adopt wearing these shoulder pads uh, mm-hmm. at that time. And because, uh, you know, as women were coming into the workplace more because they were needed, they started doing that. But because resources were scarce because of wartime, the pads were often made of wool, cotton, and sometimes even sawdust. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Which is interesting he, to me because in the 1980s, it seems like it wasn't ideal to be wearing these shoulder pads anyway. Now you got to wear it back then you were wearing them made of sawdust. I mean, it was, sawdust. It, you get caught in the rain. I think you're screwed. Mm. <laughs> Pretty much, or you leave a trail if it's yeah. not sewn really well. <laughs> <laughs> I know where my wife went. Uh, originally, they were going to be made out of silicone, but they had to save all that mm. for something else. Oh, oh, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Ray, because uh, I was reading how the pads in the 1980s when they came back, they were not without controversy including some things like uh, some shirts they designed, some blouses, some companies designed blouses that were intended to have shoulder pads, but then they made you send away for the shoulder pads. Oh no. As a separate thing. But also <laughs> because the way they were, they were not necessarily sewn in, they could become dislodged and slide around appearing in other areas of the arms or torso and, and, and yeah, accentuating different parts of the body. <laughs> like that woman's <laughs> arms are jacked. Mm-hmm. If that Velcro wasn't uh, sturdy enough, yeah. yeah. So Popeye-sized uh, forearms. I owned several articles of clothing that had shoulder pads. Oh, yeah. And I almost unfailingly removed them or cut them out. Okay. <laughs> it just didn't feel right hmm. for me, personally. Was it, so you say feel. Now, mm-hmm. do you mean actually physically how it felt comfortable? Or you saw Uh-oh. yourself in the mirror and were like, eh. That's it. I should specify. It was more an appearance thing. It's like, oh, no, that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, so I have a collection. Yeah. I had a collection of shoulder pads oh, just that I just didn't know pads. what to do with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember a, a girl I dated in high school and later years, towards the end of the years, and pretty, I, I think she kept her shoulder pads and I kind of remember that sort of thing mm-hmm. was a look. Although sometimes mm-hmm. she took them out. Yeah. That was a, uh, hmm. But like I said, yeah, we, we had shoulder padded stuff too. I mean, you know, hmm. I had some job where I, oh, well, I went to high school. I had to wear a suit jacket every day. So, and that had shoulder pads. How about that? Some of them did. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're making me think of Jennifer Beals in that commercial. What was that for? There were burgers inside. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> the power, it's like the power. Hmm, what was it called? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, what was the burger place? In, uh, in and out or something like that? Uh, yeah, it's a I real burger place. I forget what this commercial yeah, was from. Jack yeah. in the Box, maybe? Oh, I, yeah, maybe. I, I, maybe. I wanted to say it was Jack in the Box. Okay. But I'm right. not 100% sure, but I think that's what it was. Okay. It sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Um. I thought it was interesting. I saw again, per mental floss that uh, at some point, like, look, we think, I think about dynasty, uh, you know, with the shoulder pads, you got your Joan Collins yeah. and your uh, uh, Linda Evans, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point in the 1980s, CBS handed out a mandate saying that, uh, telling that uh, they had to, uh, Joan Collins and, and, and uh, Linda Evans had to stop wearing shoulder pads. They didn't what? want them to wear it anymore. Uh, but oh, interesting. word quickly came back to CBS brass saying that uh, Evans and Collins were being defiant and they would not shed their pads. And according <laughs> to the show's uh, costume designer, Nolan Miller, the stars almost quote mutinied. Wow. Mm-hmm. But I guess they didn't have to. Did they win their battle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one. Oh, I was going to say no one knows because no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> Now look, just as a as a side, you know, because I get uh, I say the more liberal p- positions on this show here. In this thing from this thing, it talks about how in the 1980s the trend surged at a time when women's participation in the l- labor force steep, steeply increased. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Judge Sandra Day O'Connor become the first woman on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Three years later, we had the first uh, woman to run as a vice presidential candidate for a major party, Geraldine Ferraro. Mm-hmm. That's fine and all, but 40 years later, we only have a female vice president now. Uh, yeah. We've only had a woman run for president <laughs> in a major party, you know, in the last few years. I mean, jeez. It is incredible. Yeah, that span of time. <laughs> and I found this title for an article, although I didn't read it, but the title of the article was Women's Workforce Participation is as at its lowest point since the 1980s. Mm. Can you guess what year that's from? Uh 2020, you're right. 2020. <laughs> so there you go. Hey, on to some more light stuff. Hey, and the second thing she talks about here, uh, this is uh, Leslie Kennedy in her thing on history.com, is that food plus fun equals 
Eatertainment. <laughs> now, as a coincidence, I just heard this story told for the first time on this uh, seminar that I attended last week, which was about, and I hope this guy will come on the show, but he, he, he has his own podcast, but he also, he's a, he did this interesting lecture on the health effects of uh, 1980s video games on us in the oh. 80s. So it was like the, you know, whatever. And he yeah. talked about some of the, what our parents feared, what was really true, you know, all this kind of stuff. It was interesting. But he also- Oh, I hope he can come on. Yeah. Cool and he, and on his podcast, uh, which is called, I think, Scandalous, Scandalous Games or Scandalous Video Games, he, he tells every episode is about some kind of interesting, you know, controversial topic about uh, video games. And at least one or two are connected to the 1980s. So I won't spoil it because I'm hoping it will come on. Mm -hmm. But I learned this story. So, you know, at the end of the 1970s, when arcade games were becoming more and more popular- Mm -hmm. uh, companies like Atari had a problem. They were mostly, you know, just relegated to adult only type establishments. You're talking about your bars mm -hmm. or your smoke filled the uh, billiard halls. Mm -hmm. But of course, to, you know, to maximize their profits, they needed to reach a, reach a wider audience. And so leveraging his experience in the amusement park industry and his love for scary animatronics, uh, <laughs> Nolan Bushnell, who was the CEO of Atari at the time, Created a place where a kid could, quote, be a kid while playing video games and eating pizza. And so in 1977, the first Chuck E. Cheese Time Theater, Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater opened. Wow. I had, I no, had no idea. idea. Right? Right. The, yeah, the Atari guy. Yeah. <laughs> that he did that. Uh, smart, that. smart people do smart things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there were some other poor business decisions made in connection with Atari, part of its history. But, <laughs> but yeah, that this, was a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Because who doesn't want to be a kid? Yeah. Well, yeah. Definitely. And they served alcohol. <laughs> Did they? Is that right? Did oh, they? Yeah. They, oh, wow. they still do. So oh. I don't think we had a Chuck E. Cheese near us in, in Jersey City, New Jersey. I don't think I even knew about it when I grew up. Is it, are these places that you guys had visited as kids? Yeah. The Dirty Rat Entertainment Place. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> Just <laughs> uh, when you're a kid, you don't realize how filthy those places oh. are. Mm -hmm. I, as an adult, I didn't. I've been a few. As an yeah. adult, I've been to kids parties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I did when I walked in, I was went to the counter and I ordered two beers. Mm. And then I watched screaming kids and yeah. lunatics mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm. And the dirty mm -hmm. rat band played. It was oh. just like always. <laughs> My first experience with a place like this was actually in Georgia. We were visiting some friends. And uh, the how, one. How old are uh, you when when this happens? Is, uh, when you're a kid probably, or an adult? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I should have said that. Yes, I was a kid, and um, I was. It was probably like 1980, 1981. Okay. So I was yep. like nine, ten, and um, the other youngest girl in this family we were visiting kept saying, "We're gonna take you to Showbiz. We're gonna take you to Showbiz." Oh. And I'm like, "What's Showbiz?" <laughs> but there was like an accent issue there, yeah. and then I realized when we arrived showbiz right. <laughs> was the name and it was magical <laughs> i thought why don't we have a place like this near me because i didn't know of any place like that see right. that's crazy because you guys had action park how did you not have a <laughs> chuck e cheese well, I mean, those are very different ends of the spectrum there. You can't die at a no, Chuck E. Cheese. Not really. Not, no, they're not. <laughs> or maybe dysentery or E. coli, I guess you might be out. It's New Jersey. We, we, we had a more uh, edgy stuff, I guess, right? Yeah, and Jersey is very different. Like Northwest yeah. Jersey is different than so South and Northeast mm -hmm. different than Central. It's very different sort of regional yeah. areas. Where I grew up, it's yeah. very different, Yeah. We're going to have to go to the Chuck E. Cheese. I can show you. Okay. <laughs> well, I got to see this. Yeah. I've been to many since, but only with my kids. Oh my God. They loved it. Some of my right, fondest memories are seeing how, you know, them go crazy and loving Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. Um, I went to a Chuck E. Cheese for the first time when my kids were young. Yeah. And uh, I spent a lot of time at the ski ball section yeah. while they were running amok Tearing with their friends. Up. Yeah. Yep. You're right. Uh, Kat, you hit upon something because, uh, so in 1978, uh, Atari wants to expand this, but uh, their, their parent company, which was Warner Brothers at the time, said they wouldn't allow them to open additional locations. So Bush, uh, no, again, like I said, Nolan Bushnell, who was the CEO, purchased the rights uh, mm. for from uh, Warner Brothers for $500,000. Mm -hmm. And then in 1984, Showbiz Pizza, who was actually mm -hmm. a competitor of Chuck E. Cheese, purchased Chuck E. Cheese. So maybe that's mm -hmm. Showbiz. 
Showbies. And you got that. <laughs> now, in the 1980s also, though, this was just part of a larger sort of, uh, you know, new area of business that opened up. These ideas where you could eat where you play, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, including Dave & Buster's. The first Dave & Buster's opened in 1982 in Dallas. Mm-hmm. I've only visited one of those in the 2000s. Here when I moved to here to Ohio. Mm-hmm. It's another thing we didn't have in New Jersey. And Medieval Times also oh. opened in 1983. The first one in Kissimmee, Florida, near Disney World. I've actually, hmm. I've been to that one years ago. That was probably oh. in the 90s though, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think when visiting Disney. Um, that sounds mm-hmm. like a place that you would mm-hmm. think you would like as kids, right? It's almost like Dungeons and Dragons, right? You've got like wizards and princesses and there's no dragons, but knights are jousting. Yeah, yep. yeah. It seems like the, um, back in the 80s, I think it was probably way cooler. Yeah. Because um, from what I've read about it, you were allowed to like throw half-eaten food <laughs> out into the joust yeah. area, you know, to show your approval. You oh, would throw yeah. the, the bones and stuff out. I could totally picture you doing that, right? Can, can, <laughs> can you imagine them? Entire meals. He's like, yeah. I'm not even going to eat this. I'm going to just throw they it. Gave, they don't give no silverware or napkins yeah. or nothing. No. And, no. Yeah. <laughs> and like now I can see people getting upset about that. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Worried that the horse is going to eat it or something. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I, I have seen jousting at other events. Yeah. Jousting's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. hmm these, no, these are another places that I hadn't gone to since until uh, I was an adult. Well, no, I went, well, I was an adult, yeah. And then again, with my kids and loving it, you know, when they were kids. Oh, mm-hmm. The food's nasty, though. And you got to eat with your hands. That's pretty, it's <laughs> one-two combination of grossness. It's a challenge, yeah. yeah. I went to one one time yep. uh, in the early 90s. Mm. And it was yeah. like, uh, what, uh, Corey Feldman's song? Once is enough. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, now we don't have to spend a whole lot talking about this because we've talked about it many times. But the third thing on this list from Leslie Kennedy is music goes visual. We're talking about Mm -hmm. MTV, of course, which hit the airwaves in 1981. Of course, the first song was, I know Ray knows. All right, Kat, now I know Ray knows this too, (laughs) and I always forget it. What was the second song on MTV? Oh, criminy. Mm. Mm. I kind of vaguely remember, Ray. I think it was a Joan Jett. No, no, no. It was. I'm uh, going to say it was a female artist. Uh, Pat Benatar song. It yeah, was yeah, Pat yeah, Benatar and it was. Um, sounds good. Invincible? I mm. don't remember. I no. think that it was. Run to you. Run to you. Run to you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Run to you. Mm-hmm. I think it's Pat Benatar was yep. the second one. Yeah. Could be wrong, though. According to this a piece in, in hmm. history on history.com, the target audience was 12 to 34 year olds. That sounds like so broad. It does. It does sound very broad. Yeah. Well, if like my target audience for this yep. show is yep. eight to 99. <laughs> I thought you were going to say zero. <laughs> we're trying to, t- we're going to try to cash in on the fetuses. <laughs> the unborn. <laughs> I at least like them to be old enough to ask for their parents' credit card to be Patreons. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, eight would do it. Actually, it's probably younger mm-hmm. now, but yeah. No. Hey, I have a list. Okay. All right. for our list. All right. The first 10 videos played. All right. So Actually, it says first 25, but I'm just going to tell you. Yeah, first. yeah. Well, so the second 10. one, was it run to you? Uh, yes. Well, no, well, you better run. Uh, oh, is it? Oh. Same you song. Run. So you got the run. You got the run right Oh, yeah. I'm saying run to you like the Brian Adams song. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you better run by Pat Benatar. Number three, She Won't Dance With Me by Rod Stewart. Mm. You Better You Bet by The Who. Wow. I didn't realize or, that was even an 80s song. I guess it didn't yeah. matter. Yeah, no, well, they were yeah. just digging for videos. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, Little Susie's on the Up by PH. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that one. Mm. We Don't Talk Anymore by Cliff Richard. Mm. Brass in Pocket by we're the Pretenders. The Anytime oh. his name comes up, that's all I think of is the young ones. Oh, <laughs> all right. And then Time Heals by Todd Rundgren. Yeah. There's some trivia for you. Yeah. (laughs) That's uh, Liv Tyler's uh, stepfather. Oh, Oh. I had no idea. Oh. I'm pretty sure they tried to hide the fact that she was Steven Tyler's daughter, but uh, the resemblance is uncanny, so. Oh, Mm -hmm. is that right? She didn't know until later? I don't know, but... uh, (laughs) I'm just filling in blanks. Yes, come to, on, cat. Two more. Come on, let's go. Try and be entertaining. <laughs> Ta- <laughs> Taken on the Run yep. by Ario Speedwagon was number nine. Right. And then Rock in the Paradise by Styx. Wow. Most of those songs, 10. I don't even remember the song. Yeah. Jeez Louise. 
Oh, PhD. That was that other one. Little oh. Susie's on the up by PhD. I got to look that up. <laughs> so look, Not we got a ton one. of videos hosted mm-hmm. by folks like Nina uh, Blackwood, who was one of our, was mm-hmm. our first celebrity guest on the show, our show a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but early videos from Prince and the Lopper Boy, George sort of defined, you know, the, the MTV generation. People like Michael Jackson, you know, created a whole sort of uh, storytelling method using music videos that hadn't hadn't existed prior to uh, Thriller. Mm-hmm. What do you guys remember oh. the Fish Heads video? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, mm-hmm. That was always a treat when we would catch that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Go ahead. You gonna sing it? Nope. <laughs> I got it in my head now, though. <laughs> they used to play that on the radio a lot too. That song, it's yeah. even hundred, I think. Mm. Oh. I don't remember it on the radio so much. Yeah. I just remember being captivated. By it was the like video. a doctor song that came out of Doctor Demento, I think. Mm, yeah, I was okay. actually yeah. going to bring up Weird Al and MTV because mm, yeah, mm-hmm. that really bumped his career up. Totally. Yes, another guy who came out of Demento. Yeah, right. Yes, another genre-defining guy who took advantage of the that medium as in addition to his parodies. Yeah, his parodies probably wouldn't have taken off as well if he didn't have the parody videos that imitated mm-hmm. like shot for shot the original songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he was just on Dr. Demento, yeah. no one would know who he is today. Yeah. <laughs> mm. The visual component was a key. Strong. Yeah. 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 Hey, a number four on this list is the mall food court has a heyday. Check this out. Did you guys know there was once a time when people shopped in one place and then when they got hungry, they had to go somewhere else and eat? <laughs> I I never knew Novel, a time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So first of all, let's take a pause here. And I thought this was interesting that I found out mall. Okay. Just mall generally. So Ray, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you probably noticed in the history.com article that we read from Leslie Kennedy, there's a picture of the arcade from Cleveland, not too far from where we are here, which is an old mall. It turns out it opened in 1890 for a cost of almost a million dollars. Wow. According to their website, it was America's inaugural indoor shopping center. Whoa. 1890. Now, I thought immediately when I read this, I thought Ray tells me everything starts in Cleveland or comes from Cleveland. And he thinks I'm lying all the time, but well, then I read though that check this out in 1828, Providence, Rhode Island opened the first indoor shopping mall. Guess what it was called? Still the Cleveland mall. It's called the arcade. I mean, Cleveland just ripped it off like 50 years later. <laughs> and if you see pictures of Providence's one, it looks like the Cleveland one. Wow. You know, probably just the same people. It could Maybe. be. It could be. Uh, did you guys hang out at malls and all when you were young in the 1980s? Mm-hmm. Love the mall. Hmm. Sure did. Uh, see, again, so Kat lives in, you know, grew up in Southern Jersey. I grew up in the Eastern Jersey. You're kind of central, I guess. Yeah. All right, Central Jersey. See, she, even she makes that distinction. Anything mm-hmm. south of Jersey City is South Jersey. So, but we didn't, we, look, we had a couple malls in our city, but well, we had one mall in Jersey City, I can think of at the time. We later in the later 80s, we got another one that I worked at, but mm-hmm. so it wasn't a place where we would go and hang out or could get, it was far enough from where we lived in our neighborhood. The city was so big, you couldn't really get dropped off there and be, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our mall was about a half hour away. Okay, that's why wow. I watched yeah. ours too. Well, oh. we went there all the time, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. time. Um, so many fun adventures. Like mm-hmm. uh, when we needed D and D dice, we this. would go there mm. because the Eastern Arts store that sold swords and Buddha statues right. also sold Dungeon Dragons dice. Yes, oh. mm. you had to go in and ask for them. I don't even know how we figured that out. Yeah. We must have just went in every <laughs> store at the mall and asked <laughs> no. for them until just we found out. one. D and D dice. Who has them? <laughs> Why this guy carried them yeah. made no sense <laughs> because he would bring them out from under the counter mm. in their special case. Wow. And he'd be like, here you go. Which ones you want? And we'd be like, well, we want all of them, but we'll take <laughs> these six today. And also I loved the mall because back then we would just walk around and smoke cigarettes and, yep. you know, hang out in the food court. Uh, yep. And um, I get called names all the time, like Vince Neal. And, oh, yeah, yeah. right. That guy from Warren, you know, right. it's, oh it's a good times, good times. You know, the way you describe that dice yeah. store, it sounds like such a, you know, mystic place or mythical place already with the swords and the sort of Asian, I'll you know, cultural you, stuff. And, I'll mm-hmm. tell you right now, if we would have went in there and thought of it and asked him for a Mogwai, I bet he had one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brings out that box. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, 
that's cool. <laughs> so at some point, look, we have malls since the you know 19th century. Maybe in Cleveland was the first one. Well, probably it was in Providence, Rhode Island. But, but <laughs> it wasn't until the 1970s that the granddaddy of mall developers, James Rouse, Rouse, as part of an idea of making a, quote, civil anchor of the suburbs, he created the food court. And he was <laughs> uh, mimicking the uh, marketplaces of other folks, uh, other places like uh, Boston's Faneuil Hall mm-hmm, and uh, Baltimore's mm-hmm. Harbor Place. Um, his first food court in 1971 failed. But a few years later, he he hit it. He was a success. Why are you shaking your head? No, because he's a how failure. does a food court that's, fail? That's sad. Oh, it'd be so hard. Yeah, like were they serving like just the worst kinds of food you could imagine? Yeah. Like, hey, come to the food court. I got cabbage. Mm-hmm. It was it was McCabbage. McCabbage. <laughs> but his his first success for a food court was in a mall in. New Jersey, the Paramus <gasps> Park Mall. Oh, I oh, went to the Paramus Park Mall so many times. Gosh, and I was there once, I think, yeah. just once with a cousin from New York. Um, like Ray said, though, before we had cell phones, the malls were places where teen and food courts in particular, places where teenagers could could congregate, grab a after school snack, score some people watching, as uh, memorialized in uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. <laughs> did some hanging out at the mall there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, hey, just like yeah. and just like that movie, uh, we had a a kick-ass movie theater at the mall. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it used mm-hmm. to do uh, Rocky Horror Midnight all the time. Oh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Our, our mall, so the mall we would go to in Jersey City when, uh, again, when I was very young, because later on, like I said, there was one that was closer to me. I worked there as a teenager at the Aeropostale, which it was one of the first Aeropostales ever. If mm. not the first, no, I don't know if it was the first, but but before that, when I was a kid, we would go to the mall in 440 on Jersey City. It was called the Hudson Mall, and they had a movie theater there, and that was always cool. Mm-hmm. I think I saw, I want to say I saw Star Wars there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. A New Hope in the 70s. I remember seeing Tootsie there. And I remember <laughs> seeing Clash of the Titans there. Do you guys tend to oh. remember what movie theater you saw movies as a kid and who you saw them with? Some locations, <laughs> but definitely more who I was with. Yeah. <laughs> it was now, I remember seeing the movie in the theater, uh-huh. but the who was there and what where it was at, that's all fuzzy because <laughs> stuff. Because yeah. stuff, stuff, yeah. <laughs> life, yeah, mm-hmm. life, and mm-hmm. the memory mm-hmm. starts to get get. You got to mm-hmm. sacrifice something. Yeah, you got. Yeah, you got right. You got to free up some RAM. So you got Yeah, the RAM's got to free up. So the people I was with to see the movie. Sorry, you're yeah. out. <laughs> and the theater, you're out. Because I got to remember, you know, right. stupid Daikini and you know yes. Squiggies in that movie. I got. Yes. <laughs> I got to remember the important information from the theater. That is funny. You're right, Ray. You remember like a lot of trivia stuff about movies and other things that I don't remember, but I could tell you which row I sat in when I saw Tootsie in 1981 (laughs) or whatever it was. Yes. I I can tell you I was in Georgia when I saw Footloose. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hey, last but not least on our list of five things that the History Channel's website deemed as pop culture crazes that define the 1980s, uh, toy crazes. They sparked frenzies in the 1980s. So uh, as this article talks about, shoppers camping out over in in lines overnight, riots Mm -hmm. breaking out just to get their hands on 120 available Cabbage Patch dolls. Uh, Although they were described as by many folks as, quote, homely. (laughs) (laughs) They also, in addition to that, came with unusual names and a birth certificate (laughs) and adoption papers and an orphan backstory. Uh, they hit the shelves in the summer of 1983, and all two million were sold by the fall. Coleco raced to meet demand, just as reports quickly emerged of tramplings, fights, and other violence uh, for, for people trying to desperately purchase those in time for Christmas at a department mm-hmm. store in Wilkes Bar. Well, it, Wilkes there's Bear. a few variations. Yeah, some people say Wilkes Berry, oh, and some people right. say Wilkes Bar. The locals say Wilkes Berry. All right, I'll, I'll be a local. Wilkes Berry. Yeah. In Wilkes Berry, Pennsylvania, a woman <laughs> suffered a broken leg, and four others were injured. The New York Times reported at the time that when when a thousand people rushed the store, the manager said, quote, my life's in danger while clutching a baseball bat at the time. Wow. I don't think, I can't recall, and I don't know, I'd have to check with my parents. I don't know if they went to any great lengths to get any, you know, hot toys. We we did have some cool stuff, like our Atari 2600. I don't know if it was, Mm. we got it, I think we got it in the 80s. So by then it had been out Mm -hmm. for a couple of years, a few years. I know we had, I had friends and family who had one before we did. So by the time we got it, it probably wasn't. Hard to I get. think that was, yeah, yeah, same for us. It wasn't uh, at the moment of release. Yeah. I don't know that we got <laughs> anything us. that was hot at the time. 
Right. Well, I'm sure you got some stuff that was hot. Hot, like fell off the truck hot? Yeah, like yeah, fell that's off probably, the truck yeah. hot. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's probably mm-hmm. true. Um, I thought it was interesting. So, because <laughs> talking about these cabbage patches and how homely they were, I found this a piece from uh, Cracked. And I, you know what? Had I thought about this soon enough, instead of doing this list of five things that we may or may not be interested in, I found this other interesting list of six uh, toys from the 1980s with horrific backstories. So we're going to do that one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like an episode. But I do want to tell you this one. So maybe we'll take this one out of that episode or we'll just repeat it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Cracked tells the story, uh, the backstory of the Cabbage Patch dolls. And we're talking about the in-world story, not about how they came to be made. Okay. Uh, And Cracked writes that uh, getting ready for the demands of Christmas in 1984, toy makers released storybooks, cassettes, and an animated Christmas special describing the adventures of the Cabbage Patch Kids. What they unveiled was a world of sheer madness. <laughs> so I didn't know this. So first, I, I didn't recall this. I kind of remember this from the commercial though, maybe. First, they actually grow from cabbages mm, in a mm-hmm. field. Do you remember okay. that? Vaguely, yeah. Oh, okay. Now, well, <laughs> that's just the beginning of the weirdness. Uh, and as Crack points out, you know, that makes sense. You probably don't want to show kids an image of a woman uh, actually giving birth to a child mm. in the commercial, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. But it keeps getting weirder because the magical cabbages are pollinated by mutated creatures called bunny bees who drop crystals on them. Oh, hmm. I don't uh, remember that. And then the kids emerge into a world with no parents and they're basically left to fend for themselves until they're adopted. <laughs> I mean, that's what we tell the kids, right? They, they just came out of a patch in the field. <laughs> but according to the cartoon, the kids need to be adopted quick because they're in danger. Because unfortunately, their cabbage patch is in close proximity to a gold mine owned by the evil Lavender McDade. And Lavender is an entrepreneur with a brilliant business plan. She's going to kidnap the Cabbage Patch kids and turn them into slaves. I thought you were going to say, sell them at the food court. Oh! (laughs) McCabbage at your McCabbage store? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, why does my food have a name? A human name? And a birth certificate? What what is that? I would would like the, the... the Beatrice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, sir. We just sold her. She's already been, quote, adopted. Her or sold out? <laughs> yeah. Yes, both. <laughs> this character, Lavender, describes her plan in a sassy song, saying, quote, mm-hmm. I've got to stop those Cabbage Patch kids from finding parents of their own. I'm going to need some henchmen. I can't do it all alone because there's gold in the valley and the kids cannot go free. I need their little fingers to dig the gold for me. Oh, my goodness. Nice. Wow. <laughs> nice. I don't. I've never had. We talked about this somewhat because I know Ray said uh, he didn't have a cabbage patch because he no. has a penis or something like that. Mm. No, but, I have. I have two brothers. I have two brothers. We don't. There's no girls in our family, so uh, you could have said it my way too. It's the same thing. We we pre, Well, yeah. I mean, we pretty much said the same kind of jokes. Yep. <laughs> I mean. I, mm-hmm. I didn't have any either. Probably for the same reason. I wasn't interested in it. I don't think my sister had it either. But no. had I known the backstory, yep. oh man, into it. I'm into that now. <laughs> right I want that. What, what's the lavender doll look like? <laughs> well, she's I like want a, that one. She's an old lady. I could see Ray cosplaying as like, he's like, well, not cosplaying, role playing with his, his friends who have cabbage yeah. patches. I'm Lavender <laughs> McDade and I stole your baby. Now it's been slave in my mind. Kids are crying. <laughs> I love gold. <laughs> gold. <laughs> if you still had your hands on a cabbage patch, according to workingmoney.com, it could be worth some money today. Now, some of the unique mm-hmm. dolls, like a 1987 clown prototype, sold for $10,000. What? But regular mint condition cabbage patches from the 1980s can still for, sell for ten to for $2,000 or more. Hmm. Huh. Uh, of course, clown? the prices vary greatly, um, but um, <laughs> some are only worth what they were sold back in the 1980s. But some, you know, could be worth uh, mm-hmm. greater value. Check your attics. I, I did not have yeah. one, but I had a friend who had all the the latest toys and she had multiple cabbage patch kids. So yep. I had exposure to them. Oh. Did she own a gold her. mine? <laughs> your friend Lavender. <laughs> did you guys, did you guys sit around with the dolls going like, get that gold with your tiny little fingers. Oh, that would have been fun. Dang. I told you, now that I know the backstory, that that's yeah. way more fun. I think I had cousins with the dolls. Yeah. They were younger than me. Oh. Mm. And they probably Golden. watched that show. 
Golden missed. opportunity missed. Oh, missed opportunity, God. yep. <laughs> now I got to check the cartoon out because I want to watch them kids dig yeah. for gold and cry and mm-hmm. scream they need parents. Hey, this sounds like maybe another horror movie script you could work on, uh, like the oh, Alpha. Oh, God, this is perfect. Shumway. Mm-hmm. Dude. <laughs> maybe maybe you can make it a shared universe. Oh, man. There you go. <laughs> all right, that's enough of all this, right? Oh, they go to court because cabbage don't have rights. <laughs> It raises an important constitutional question. Never oh, had to deal with it. Well, Your Honor, I, I lied. <laughs> According to the U.S. Constitution, I do not believe a vegetation has a right. That's right. Anything you can make a tasty treat with. <laughs> if you can boil it, we can turn it into a slave. Oh, wait. Well, this is, okay, never mind. This is, uh, a slave. That's what they said in the cartoon. Uh, Oh, yeah. All right, I was saying, if you can boil it, we can put it to work in the mines. There you go. I fixed it. <laughs> Earlier, I was talking about being the mo- advancing the liberal points of view. All right. Hey. All right. Hey, our show is brought to you by a number of different folks uh, and uh, the work behind the scenes, and also just give us money. <laughs> Including our <laughs> very special secret of my success uh, level Patreon supporters, John Henderson, Greg Coletta, Bart Arnold, John Kaminsky, and John Reddick. And we could and we'll shout out your name every week too. Mm-hmm. So please go to patreon.com slash nineteen eighties now so mm-hmm. you can encourage us to do better than we did today. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Hey, geez. come on. What's uh what's what's on the Patreon right now? Uh, Did we release anything recently? Yeah, right now it's uh, your review of, hmm, don't tell me. Let's see. Tim Buck 3. Tim Buck 3. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's the most recent one. Mm-hmm. I got to get caught up on your Patreons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't been able to listen. You should be a supporter. Stop shitting on the show. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll fix it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> too late. No. That's going in. Too late. It's definitely never going in. Yeah, late. once once you the show it goes in that's that's how it works permanent record (laughs) yeah all right hey (laughs) next week something new and uh we look forward to talking to you then what what do we say Uh, we hey we will talk to you next time on 1980s now see ya later